Hi everyone, it's Bud, and thanks as always for checking out my podcast, Before the Cheering Started, all about the journey to success. The podcast has gotten off to a great start, with wonderful guests like Bob Costas, the co-creators of Friends, Marta Kaufman and David Crane, fashion design icon Norma Kamali, the man who created the Global Citizen Festival, Hugh Evans, Ford Foundation President Darren Walker, several terrific writers, Scott Turow, Colin McCann, Jacqueline Woodson, Patrick Radden-Keefe, and many more. And I've loved hearing their before-the-cheering-started stories. Costa's calling minor league hockey and occasionally subbing on Bowling for Dollars. Stephen Van Zandt quitting the music business to work construction, specifically Route 287 in New Jersey, a fine road. And David Crane, long before creating a show seen around the world, selling ink toner over the phone. Great stuff. But for this week, we thought we'd pause and take a break from the interviews as we gear up for the new year. And I thought I might give you my Before the Cheering Started story. When it comes to broadcast journalists, we don't get cheered so much, nor should we. But I've been blessed. During my sports years, covering a boatload of playoff games, then creating and hosting a 14-year series that uh, created some 400 profiles of influential and intriguing New Yorkers. And now working for two iconic New York radio stations, 1010 Wins and WCBS. So I've enjoyed professional fulfillment. But it wasn't always that way. And so, my before the cheering started story. It was the worst of times. Fall had descended on 1985, and there was no Charles Dickens about it. The best of times may have dawned for others, but I was mired in the worst. Four years out of college, I was out of work and lacking direction, cluelessly squeaking by with help from my parents. I was living in what New Yorkers will generously call a railroad apartment, where you can stand at one end and see straight through to the other. I shared it with my oldest friend, Mark, and one of his friends, Danny. Danny was in school, Mark was underemployed, and I had nothing going at all. Beyond our cramped quarters, the bachelor's bacchanalia was in full swing. Wall Street was booming, and the money seemed to be raining into every pocket but ours. As the daylight shrank and the cold set in, I'd look into Metzaluna Restaurant on 3rd Avenue, see all the people having a great time, and wish them all, well bad things. Our neighborhood commissary was a Chinese takeout place called Walk on 3rd. We'd order on Sunday night and leave enough to have leftovers on Monday. On lucky weeks, we still had food left for Tuesday night. Let the good times roll. I'd come to New York that summer because some friends had offered to loan me their apartment in Brooklyn, which I'd taken as a sign from God that I should leave my full-time radio job down the Jersey Shore. Once you've got New York's real estate figured out, I reasoned, everything else will follow. And it seemed to, at least at the start. I landed a summertime vacation relief job writing news at WMCA Radio. WMCA had been a big station in the 1960s playing rock and roll and calling its DJs the good guys. Those glory days were long gone, but still, it was a job. I'd drive into Manhattan around 3 a.m., park about eight blocks from the station in a cheap outdoor lot, and walk the remainder with an umbrella. Clear sky overhead? Didn't matter always carry an umbrella. I also cultivated the habit of talking to myself. That's hardly unusual nowadays in the era of earbuds and Apple watches. But in 1985, it was an excellent way to come off as a bit unhinged and therefore best avoided. I doubt that I ever struck fear into the hearts of my fellow night owls, but I didn't have any issues. Must have been the umbrella. 
I worked from 4 a.m. until noon writing news copy for The Ralph and Ryan Show. Hardly my dream job, but it was New York and I was learning. I was a good writer, not a great one, but I got the copy in on time and managed not to get the station sued. I thought it was going well and was told as much by the station's honchos. The demo tape I made for some on-air work landed with a thud, but otherwise I was cruising toward what seemed sure to be a full-time position. And so, when August ended and the general manager said, Thanks a lot, good job, I was surprised. As was she when she saw my surprise, which forced her to once again explain that the summer vacation relief job was exactly what it sounded like. And summer had ended, along with my time at WMCA. September bled into October and then November, which passed in its own turn, finding me still out of work. No job, no plan, no strategy. No assurance I'd even be able to manage once-a-week takeout much longer. Then in early December, I got a phone call out of the blue from Maury Trumbull, an ABC radio announcer I'd met over the summer. He explained that he had a service that provided ski reports for radio stations around the region. One of his announcers had just bailed on him. Was I interested? If memory serves me correctly, I copped a bit of an attitude with him. Thank you very much, Mr. Trumbull, but I've done news and sports, ski reports. By way of reply, he gently inquired if I was working. Uh, When I told him no, he said something along the lines of, look, it's a hundred bucks a week, part-time, three hours every morning from your apartment, but it will get you on the air. I will forever appreciate that piece of advice and the kind way Maury Trumbull offered it. It will get you on the air. So began my career as a ski reporter. I didn't know Killington from Stratton, but to my assigned 20 stations, I was a ski reporter. Maury held a conference call with the announcers at 5.30 every weekday morning, updating us on the ski resorts, how much new packed powder, how many trails open, and so on. And then for the next three hours, I called radio stations. There was nothing cool or suave about doing ski reports on the radio. They always went to 11. So I came out of the gate hollering at the top of my lungs. Good morning, Boston. Welcome to the Morning Zoo 105 Ski Zone. It's a great day for skiing. For the record, it's always a great day for skiing. Pouring outside? (laughs) Who cares? Hey, Harrisburg, it's a great day for skiing. I set up shop that first day in the kitchen, or what we call the kitchen, into which my friend Mark stumbled a few minutes after 6 a.m. How was I doing, he asked. Good. What was I doing, he asked. Why, the ski reports. Well, Mark kindly informed me he didn't need to wake up for another three hours. Translation, I needed to find another location, and there was only one other room available in the apartment. Which is how it came to pass that during the winter of 1985-86, I spent three hours every weekday morning reporting ski conditions from the bathroom. I sat on the toilet with a tray table in front of me holding my notes and the apartment's phone at the end of its long cord. If it was 35 degrees outside, it might reach 45 inside the apartment. The paint peeled, the pipes hissed. Occasionally, I would flush in mid-report for a laugh. The hilarity had a way of wearing off, though, when between calls I asked myself, how did I end up here? 
Yet I was on the air, including four stations in New York, one of which was K-Rock, then the home of Howard Stern, who allegedly made fun of my name one day. At the time, it was the highlight of my career. People started to hear me. Occasionally, friends of friends would call seeking my recommendation for a weekend of skiing. Should we go to Gore, Whiteface, Bromley? I can't even afford to go to one of these places for a single day, I didn't tell them. And even if I could, I don't know how to ski. I opted to keep that to myself. One day, my contact at a Pittsburgh station asked me to change my name from Bud Mishkin. What, I wondered darkly, could possibly motivate that request? He even had an alternative name picked out, Eric Carter. I was many things in this world, but I was not an Eric Carter. But what could a toilet-mounted ski reporter do? Thus began my brief Pittsburgh radio career as Eric Carter. The reason turned out to be benign. My reports were running on a competitor station, which made for a branding headache. The only problem was that occasionally I would forget, starting the ski report as Eric Carter, and yes, finishing it as Bud Mishkin. Such was the lot of the semi-professional broadcaster. Edward R. Murrow, I was not. A single ray of hope flickered across the porcelain that winter. One of my client stations was WNBC in New York, which owned the radio rights to the Knicks and the Rangers. It was launching a five-hour nighttime talk show called Sports Night, produced by a young man named Mike Breen, now known to sports fans as the voice of the NBA. For some reason, WNBC decided to include my ski report in the show's first half hour, Sports Night Magazine. So Mike and I talked most days when I called it in, and eventually I pitched the station on hiring me to cover baseball in New York, Mets and Yankees. After all, when the basketball and hockey seasons ended, Sports Night would still have five hours to fill. Alas, their answer amounted to, nice try, but no cigar. And then the ski season was over. The bathroom reverted to a bathroom, and as spring sprung, I was unemployed again. But a few days into April, the phone rang in the apartment. It was the new host of WNBC Sports Night, Dave Sims. And Dave uttered the words that opened the door to the rest of my life. Hey, do you still want to cover the Yankees this season? Four days later, I was standing behind home plate at Yankee Stadium watching batting practice on opening day, the start of a long career in sports and news and television and radio. One time soon thereafter, I was in the WNBC radio sports office and I saw a pile of cassette tapes from applicants apparently passed over in my favor. Why, I asked Mike, why did they pass over these applicants and pick me? I will never forget his response. We knew you from the ski reports. I hope your path to professional fulfillment doesn't include a stop in your bathroom doing ski reports, but if it does, Here's wishing that a WNBC radio gig is waiting for you once you've safely made it down the hill. Before the Cheering started is a production of June 14th Productions and Gemini 13 Productions. This episode was created and written by me. Guitar playing, that's me as well. No extra charge. Thank you as always to editor Lou Pellegrino. This story first appeared in the fine publication, The Pennsylvania Gazette, the alumni magazine of my alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania. Thanks to Trey Pop, who did a wonderful job editing the piece in the Gazette. 
I'm excited about the new year for the podcast, including interviews with two of my favorite stand-ups, Robert Klein and Paul Reiser, plus writer Jane Green, ESPN's Jeremy Schapp, and baseball broadcaster Susan Waldman. I'm Bud Mishkin, and this is Before the Cheering Started. Thanks, as always, for joining us on the journey.